welcome to EWTN's Bookmark. I'm Doug Kecker, host, our guest author, Father Cedric Pesenia, CP. The book, Real Life, Real Issues, Real Solutions, published by The Passionists, available through our EWTN Religious Catalog, EWTNRC.com, all things Catholic. Always great to see you, Father. Uh, good to be back with you again. Thank you. For Not only me. as an author, but as somebody who's uh, featured on multiple miniseries we've, we've had on the network. Yes, it's such an honor to be on EWTN. Now, this is an older book that we never got a chance to do, and you've updated it for 2022. Why did it need to be updated in your mind? Well, because of the pandemic, I'm always trying to keep it relevant and fresh. I have 25 books that I've written, and I always update them to try to bring them up to the current things that are happening in society. And that's part of the theme of this book, that it's relevant and it applies to real life. Right, and, and I think a lot of what you're talking about here is actually dealing with preaching and the teachings of the church and relating to people to where they are in the pew, right? That's the beginning of the book. I talk right. about preaching in general. As right. you know, the church has had a synod, a listening sessions, and the results of that synod are multifaceted, but one of the results is that preaching as a whole is problematic, mm -hmm. that people are feeling that the preaching isn't touching their lives. So I talk about that in this book, that mm -hmm. it's not a problem of theology or scripture for the preachers in general. They know theology. They know the scriptures. Mm -hmm. The problem seems to be is applying it to people's lives. We have to get in touch where people are, their real life issues, mm -hmm. what they're going through, raising a family, the sicknesses, the mental illnesses, right. the, the emotions, the different things, the physical sufferings that people are going through. That's exactly what Jesus did. For example, when he preached, he talked to farmers about seeds. Mm -hmm. He talked to businessmen about money. He talked to fishermen about fish. He talked in their language. It's all relatable things that they could understand. And it was very relevant. Right. Now, I'm not saying that that's across the board with everybody. Right. There are great preachers in our church, of course. But we have to strive to minister to people, to meet them where they're at. Now, that doesn't mean compromising the gospel. Right. We want it's to not, take the eternal and make it relevant. It's we not, want to change it's not it. relativism. Right. right, right. It's absolutes being applied to their real life. And that's what I do in this book. Right, right. And the book was mostly written for people who are going through things. Mm -hmm. People like suffering with depression or loneliness or anxiety or fear, having a child that might have a mental illness, whatever right, it is. Right. And Special addictions needs, are right. huge. Mm -hmm. So I take the real life issues that I've learned. I've been a priest now for 32 years. Mm -hmm. And I take those real life issues and I delve into them. And not only into the issues, but this is one of the things that some preachers don't do. They bring out the issues, but they don't offer solutions. solutions right. That was a really important point I thought was interesting because you say you compare it to a candidate or a political uh, office holder who will ask a specific question and, and will answer but never get to the they answer. Dodge, they touch the answer. They say, well, they that's not the really the issue. question. There, there's another question. They, and, they skirt those issues. Right. And sometimes, unfortunately, that happens in preaching. Right. Where we'll spend a lot of time on the issue and not enough on the solution. Right. And people are left hanging. Right. This Identif book brings right. solutions. Well, you say people need help in dealing with pain. Sadly, often what we get are pious platitudes that are too familiar, have nothing to do with what people are going through. You need and to be able to take that teaching and pull it down to, to that particular situation. Exactly. Have you ever looked at people when some are preaching? Mm. They're in a trance. I mean, it's just like they've heard all this before, the theological statements, pardon me, but salvation, redemption, justification, and they're all like, 
what about my baby who's crying or my baby who's hurting or what about my mother who's in the hospital? They want to hear mm. the gospel applied to their lives. Right. Now that doesn't mean that we don't preach salvation. Of course we do and redemption and justification, but we bring it down to the real life. And that's what people have said about passionist preaching in general. And that's why you do missions, right? I mean, yeah, that's we're why down you, to earth. Right. In a parish level. Now, you weren't born on an island, though, right? Apparently, because you, you know how to reach people. Well, I, I've suffered. My experience. Because you mentioned you think that some preachers and ministers out there for being that way, but might have been born on an island. Well, or in an ivory tower. tower What's right. the deal? Right. Okay. I mean, come on. Don't you live life? Haven't you suffered? Don't you have parents that have died? Aren't you going through grieving? Well, if you have, talk about it. Well, you say here, how can you offer effectual solutions if you aren't in touch with the problems people are dealing with? And that's part of the uh, solution also. Back in the seminary, I went to the Catholic Theological Union in Chicago. Mm -hmm. We were given uh, a booklet put out by the bishops called Fulfilled in Your Hearing. Mm -hmm. And it's a crucial booklet about preaching. Mm -hmm. And it says the number one thing is you delve into the scriptures. But the number two, you realize your assembly. Who are you preaching to? Who's out there? and then you apply the word to them. You don't just delve into the word and mm -hmm. exegete the word and that's that. You've got to know who you're talking to. And that's so important in preaching. That's what I try to do in my missions, mm -hmm. when I preach on EWTN, which I've done recently, Absolutely. or when I produce for television. Right. Now you talk about the elephant in the room. Now is it a different elephant for different groups at different times? It is. If you're talking to young people, pardon my humor, I euthanize it. Mm -hmm. I apply it to youth. If you're talking to elderly, you talk about their issues, mm -hmm. end of life issues. If you're talking to married people, well, let's talk about marriage and what that is. So yes, the elephant in the room is different depending on who's there, but sometimes mm -hmm. in a general congregation, it's a mixture of everybody. So you hit on some of the issues and hopefully you're hitting right. the majority of the people. Now, St. Paul of the Cross is, is the founder of the Passionist, right? You talk mm -hmm. about his idea that our lives are like laboratories. What does that mean? And that simply means that a scientist will go into a laboratory and do experiments and they'll look at what they're doing. We all have to look at what's within us. What are we going through? What are our emotions? What's the grieving? Do I have a mental illness? Am I afraid? And then what's the solutions that I've discovered? And then divulge it to the people. Now, we don't want to air all of our dirty laundry, but we want to be vulnerable and intimate with people because that's where you mm -hmm. meet. We're not islands unto ourselves. Right. We're part of a continent. You have the John Dunn. John Dunn, right. Oh, right yeah. And we're, we're one common humanity. We're cut of the same cloth. They call us, uh, we're of the cloth, men of the cloth, but we're cut of the same cloth mm -hmm. as laity. Right. And that's all I simply try to do. I try to be human, try to be real. You see, I tr certainly try to learn from others, but mostly from myself. One of my foundational philosophies is live and learn. Live and learn. And everybody makes mistakes. Mm -hmm. But if you learn from your mistakes, then that's good. You don't have to live in regret because you've progressed. And I say this all the time. God isn't necessarily looking for perfection. Mm -hmm. He's looking for progression movement forward. You don't have to stay stuck right. in any area of your life. Just keep moving. Striving is what he's looking for. Yeah. To keep that striving. Adding value to people is my primary mm. objective and one of the main reasons I wanted to become a priest. What do you mean adding value? Adding value has to do with helping them to develop, to grow in virtue, to realize the meaning of their life. 
to really embrace salvation, and that brings value to people's lives. People are lacking in meaning, and they're struggling, and they're wondering what all this is. And we have the treasure of the gospel. You apply that to a person's life, and they're valuable. And part of the value is realizing that you're valuable not because of what you do, but because of who you are in Christ. Right. A son and a daughter of God, that's our ultimate value. And that's why you start everything off with scripture, you say, when you're teaching. We have to begin with the foundation, the truth, mm -hmm. and apply that. That's what Jesus did. Remember he comes into the synagogue of Nazareth and he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, uh, liberty to captives, sight to the blind. So he's, he's bringing healing to the areas of our life through the, the Spirit of God, through the power of God's Word. Mm -hmm. Now you say, have you noticed there is so much junk in life? You go on to say, with all the voices assaulting us each day, we must listen for something of significance. And you go on to say, I want meaning in my life. This is my task in this important book. I think it's like the internet. You know how much junk mail we get or you're watching TV and the commercials come on. and. We've kind of been hypnotized by this, and there's so much stuff bombarding us. Truth, there's a splendor of truth, and it rises above all the junk in our life. And if we proclaim the truth, you can let that junk fade away mm -hmm. and focus on the meaning of our life, which is life in Christ and eternal life. Well, you talk about chapter one is isolated but not insulated, and you say, we all had the experience of being disconnected. Then you make this point, I thought it was really nice. From the moment we were conceived in our mother's womb, we are connected. And that's what people that feel lonely feel. They feel disconnected from other people, mm -hmm. and they feel disconnected from themselves. And so what I'm saying is that God has not abandoned us, and that on the cross, Jesus suffered loneliness mm -hmm. for us. That was part of our redemption and that the gospel applies healing in that area, and you can actually discover insulation mm -hmm. from God instead of isolation. Instead of being lonely, mm -hmm. you can really sense a, a oneness. Let me talk about religious life really quickly. Mm -hmm. In community, I'm surrounded by people all the time and in my ministry, but I love solitude. Solitude is when you get alone, and you're not lonely mm -hmm. because God is with you. You discover who you are. You discover God in fresh new ways. You can be alone in your life and not be lonely, mm -hmm. but you can be full of people right. and be lonely. It's that disconnection. Right. And what I'm proclaiming is that you get connected with God, you get connected with yourself, and you get connected with others through the gospel. Well, it's interesting, too, because you talk about the pandemic, and then you relate to the idea that your ministry has reached out to people who are incarcerated. Do you see a connection in a sense of that isolation that people went through with the pandemic with people who are incarcerated? People that are incarcerated are separated from their families and it's really hard and it's hard to get friends in prison. Mm -hmm. We reach into prisons through EWTN and through other networks, mm -hmm. Christian networks. Right. We're reaching out with the gospel and helping them to find God and get connected. The pandemic, unfortunately, if you remember, there was no touch, people were separated, meetings were by Zoom, and the pand pandemic is still going on. And loneliness spiked during mm -hmm. the pandemic and it's still going on. That's why we have right. to have a sense of connection. That's why I think EWTN is doing such a great job, right. because we are connecting with people. We're bringing them closer to God through the, our ministry, and that's exactly what right. books also do. To make sure they realize they're not alone. 
exactly what you're talking about. Now you say, and I thought this was interesting, we know the mental health problems, the suicide rates and all these other drug addiction, other things up, and you make the point that there was a study that said being lonely itself is like smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Can you imagine that? Because it really does add to stress, it adds to depression, and it hurts you physically when you're lonely. Loneliness was the first issue that I talked about, but I talked about depression and anxiety and fear and mm-hmm. grieving and mental illness. My point is, is that in this book, I'm trying to hit the real issues mm-hmm. and I'm trying to provide real solutions. And the pandemic has accentuated all of these issues, right. unfortunately, and people are suffering. They're really hurting out there. And well, you say there are many definitions of what hell is, and then you give us several, and one you quote is Dante's, uh, the entrance to hell has abandoned hope all who enter here. Right. Loneliness is a terrible thing. Heaven begins when you receive the Holy Spirit and you have intimacy with God. Hell begins when you're disconnected Mm -hmm. from God and you're lonely. Right. Now let me ask you, you're the son of a carpenter. That's an interesting uh, profession considering you're also working for Carpenter Hill. What did you learn being the son of a carpenter, working with your dad, aspects of those things that bring reality to your preaching? Let me first say that my dad worked with wood. I work with words, Mm -hmm. wood and words. My dad taught me so much. He taught me about foundations, how important it is to have a good foundation. That's the gospel. That's the meaning in our life. Without the foundation, if the foundation's out of whack, the whole building will be out of whack. He taught me about an ethic of working hard and not being afraid to work hard, to be determined, and to do the job with excellence really important. He was always asked and given people that would refer him to Mm -hmm. other people because of his excellence in his work. When I write a book, when I preach, I try to do it with excellence. I work hard because I want to reach out to people and really help them. Those are three of the things that my dad did for me, but that's in a nutshell. He did so much. He modeled virtue for me. Right. Self-talk you talk about here. Most times our inner critic lies to us and makes sweeping statements. We hear things like, you're not a good parent, everyone else is better than you, you have no real friends, your life is going nowhere, you have no voice, you've always been inferior, you aren't good looking or smart enough. You say beware of the inner critic and later on you talk about the difference between the inner critic and the inner director. Well, let me just say that the inner critic is makes sweeping statements and it's very harmful read a book by Norman Vincent Peale called The Power of Positive Thinking. He said the number one thing that people suffer with is Mm self-deprecation. We have to listen to our self-talk because self-deprecation can tear us down. I'm not a good parent, not a good preacher, I'm never going to amount to anything, I can't do it. And I've suffered with that. I I list a chapter about fear in there Mm -hmm. and I talk about the panic attacks that I've had and it was all because of that. I thought everybody was better than me. But I have gifts too, and I've come to realize them in Christ. Now, the part about the the Mm self-director, as a preacher and as a producer for television, I have an inner director Mm -hmm. that's constantly talking to me, telling me, Cedric, do this, do that. And it's not so much self-deprecation as it brings me to greater excellence. Mm -hmm. Because over the years, I've learned how to produce, and I've learned how to direct, and it's helped me to produce some really excellent episodes. Now you also talk about the fact in isolated but insulated, uh, there are times and seasons in everyone's life where God's presence isn't felt. Does that happen to you? Yes, that's called desolation, Mm -hmm. and that can stretch us. Mother Teresa went through it, Mother Angelica went through it, 
the founder of the Passionists went through it at St. Paul of the Cross. And what desolation does is it's not God not loving us, it's God stretching us to love him even though we don't feel it. Mm -hmm. And in all of our lives we go through seasons, seasons of consolation, seasons of desolation, and it's part and parcel of the spiritual journey. So remember, there's ups and there's downs in our spiritual life, and there are seasons, right. and we have to go through those, and that rounds us out. Chapter three, you were alluding to uh, fear. 365 times in the Bible we hear, don't be afraid or fear not. This is one encouragement for every day of the year, basically. And of course, uh, you know, St. John Paul, uh, yeah, that was the that was his thing. Don't the if, motto of his pantomime. Right, yeah, sure. Right. Don't be afraid. Well, let me just say that feeling fear is okay, but running from fear mm -hmm. is not okay. Mm -hmm. I have suffered panic attacks. I say that publicly, speaking in public or reading in public. And if you run from that, it'll get worse. But if you face your fears, it's amazing. You can do whatever it is that God calls you to do. And I have a saying that I like: fortune favors the brave. Mm -hmm. Fortune favors the brave. And what I mean by that is if you stand up to your fears and you're brave, doors will open right. for you. And it's amazing what God will do. I remember Mother Angelica always said, there's nothing wrong with being afraid of things you should be afraid of. You know, and courage is when you overcome that fear to do the right thing. Right. Instead of being overwhelmed, we can be overcomers. Right, exactly. Now, you have different uh, warrior or warrior fear, don't let your hearts be troubled, just move. You also have this one where you have anger, but you have a D in front of it. Danger. Danger. Why did you do that? I read a book about anger. It said anger kills, mm -hmm. and it can really lead to physical problems like heart attacks and strokes and uh, all kinds of difficulties, high blood pressure. And then think about on the road, road rage, anger, road yeah, rage. rage yeah. Right, yeah. And the deaths that occur because of that, because people are so mad and upset, they lose it. Yeah, things set them off. Right. But it's not, the, it's not really that that set them off. I mean, that's not the underlying problem of why they're angry. It's the context of what they're going through, a little incident on the road, they get right. all upset and it, they get bent out of shape. They lose it emotionally. Do you think people are, are feeling a lack of control in their lives in a lot of ways? I think so, and I think that's one of the reasons that people get into addictions, because they want to be in control. And unfortunately, they lose control. Right. And one of the ways to sobriety is by surrendering. Right. Ironically, losing control to God. But people, yeah, they do right. feel out of control monetarily. Right, and you had written a book that had to do with like the 12-step program too. Yeah, right? it's called There Is a Solution. Right. And it, it's based on the 12-step program. We reviewed that on right, book absolutely. one I remember. time. Right. And it has to do with addictions. It's called There Is a Solution. And Many people are addicted, especially with the pandemic, and I have a chapter about that in here. Right. The pandemic has driven media addictions up, drinking, pornography, drugging, you would pornography, have to think, right? You name it, because people right. are isolated, alone, it's anonymous, and they're living the wildlife. Well, that's interesting, too, because it's a combination of, of the depression of being isolated, but also the freedom of the fact that there's no check on you. Yes, no accountability. Unfortunately, people don't have accountability and they're just going the way of their emotions. Right. And, and in society, it seems like to some degree, there's also because we don't want to be the bad guy or we don't want people to feel bad, there are times where maybe in the past somebody might say, have said something to somebody who's going down the wrong path and we don't say anything. Well, it's a death-denying culture for one thing. We anesthetize pain. 
We just try to make everybody feel good. But sometimes we have to confront. And confrontation's mm -hmm. hard, but that can be one of the ways that a person can come to sobriety and confronting them. And that's very difficult, right. the family, others that are seeing their behaviors. Right. But when an intervention happens, and that's what it's called, oftentimes it's very successful. Right. You also make the point that decisions matter. That's uh, mm. page 141, chapter 8. I think that's interesting because it seems like we live in a world today where people don't really want to accept responsibility. And so if they make a bad decision, they say, well, that, that wasn't really my fault, and I was misled, and I, I'm not really responsible. Choices lead to life. Choices lead to death. Mm -hmm. We are responsible for our decisions, and our decisions literally are going to get us either to heaven mm -hmm. or to hell. This is crucial, and I talk about decisions in this book. I wrote a whole book on it called Choose Life mm -hmm. and Live because choices are so important. Remember the beginning of Lent? Choose, I set before you mm -hmm. life and death, choose life and live. That's from the Old Testament. Because that's what Lent is all about. Mm -hmm. It's about our choices, whether in morality or toward relationships or toward ourselves. But do people really believe today that there's really a downside to their choice? I mean, there may be some temporal downside. Uh, yeah, I made some wrong decisions. Maybe, you know, I have a problem with an addiction. I'll get over it. But ultimately, eternally, in God's mercy, everything will be fine. Well, that's, that's the... Uh, deceitfulness of it. Sometimes you make a wrong choice and there's no punishment right away. Right. There's no happening right away. And that's why people think, well, I don't believe in God and nothing bad has happened to me. That's God's mercy giving you time to repent. That's right from First Peter. That's giving you time to turn. Mm -hmm. And you interpret it as, oh, nothing bad has happened, but choices right. have consequences. And eventually you will have to pay for your choices. Right, absolutely. Uh, you also have in here, in chapter 9, grieving well. What do, you, what do you mean grieving well? One of our priests, when my dad died, he came up to me and he hugged me and he said, grieve well. Mm -hmm. And that stuck with me and I wrote a whole chapter about grieving. We go through stages when we grieve. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross wrote a book on death and dying, on grief and grieving, two different books. Mm -hmm. She talks about the stages like bargaining and shock and anger finally acceptance. When you grieve well, you move through those stages and you come to acceptance and you go on with your life. Mm -hmm. I always tell people to grieve well, that means don't stay stuck in anger or blaming yourself or what you should have done. Move forward. Right. This book will help you to grieve. Right, and I also think with a person, to think of the dear departed, the person who, who maybe died, and think what would they want for you? Right. Would they want you to be grieving They want all you to this? be moving. Right, exactly. Yeah. In many cases, hopefully, they're in a better place that uh, Absolutely. they want that, you to make as well. And that doesn't mean that you don't love them because right. you're moving on with your life. It just right. means that you're doing what they would want for you, and that's to move on Do you run into a lot life. of people who feel guilty about the fact that maybe they are moving on with their life and then feeling like pangs of, well, I shouldn't be happy after all these bad things have happened. Yeah. Right, that's, don't deserve to be that's happy. That's like survivor's syndrome. Right. And the other thing is they feel guilty because they didn't treat their loved one as well as they could have or should have. Mm -hmm. That's that regret. You gotta let go of that. You did your best and they're okay. They're in heaven praying for you. Right. You also talk about the idea of politics themselves, whether it's inside or outside the church and how it's affected our church and our culture. What do we do about that? Hopefully be less political and really centering on the foundation of, that is the gospel. I began the book talking about the debates that Biden and Trump had at the mm -hmm. beginning of uh, 
the, the election season in 2020, and they were skirting the issues and just going after each other, and that's mm -hmm. the way politics can be. Unfortunately, in the church, some people want to be more political than they do gospel-oriented. Mm -hmm. I know in religious community or even in diocesan life, they're striving to be a bishop or be the head of something, and what's that all about? Right. Forget that, let's minister to the people and be gospel ministers. So what is your hope for anybody who picks up this book? I hope that whatever issue you're going through, whether it be grieving, mental illness, whether it be fear, loneliness, and I list a bunch of different issues, anger, decisions, depression, mm -hmm. I'm hoping this will be like medicine to bring healing to you, to offer real solutions to help you to move forward. And not just a self-help book, but it's a gospel-oriented book. Mm -hmm. The help comes through a relationship with Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit, and what the gospel offers us, meaning and true life. Right, so another book in the works? Another book will be in the works, but this is my latest one, mm -hmm. always applying the gospel truth to people's lives. How long does it usually take you to, uh, to make a book work, and is it based on your retreats? Yeah, it takes about a year, mm -hmm. and I take the best of my sermons, bring them out and try to apply it to real life and try to help people to move forward and to center in on God. Okay, well, when that comes out, stop by again, and I'm sure we'll see you on the network as well. Father Cedric Pesenia, and uh, the book is Real Life, Real Issues, Real Solutions, uh, and available through our EWTN Religious Catalog, uh, EWTNRC.com, all things Catholic. I'm Doug Keck. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time here on Bookmark.